0: Good morning. Good to be back with you here this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, in fact. And I know you're wondering, well, what about the book of James? Uh, We are going to return back to the book of James in two weeks. This week and next week, myself and Dr. Rice are going to do just a short little break within our series on James, which we are progressing very well through, to talk for a few moments about what a healthy church looks like and what it is that we can be aspiring to. Let me tell you where this is coming from. A couple weeks ago, I stood before you and I gave us some challenges of some things that we can be doing. I want to circle back on those types of things. Ultimately, here's the vision that we could all embrace and give ourselves to, and it's this. It's reaching and winning the city of New Orleans for Christ. If that's going to happen, then I am telling you, First Baptist New Orleans has to be the very strongest and best version of herself that she has ever been. And I believe that this church is strategic to reaching that goal and to reaching that end. And so if that's true, then what we do not want to do is just simply sit here and wait and kill time waiting on the next pastor to come and join us in this work. We want to get to work on it right now. And so I've been challenging you over the last couple of weeks. You know what, folks? There's things we can be doing right now to put a, a strong foot forward for re- reaching this city for Christ. This is the time for you to be inviting people to church. Again, I want to extend that challenge to you this morning. This week, I want to challenge everybody that's listening to this right now. To invite at least one person to church next week. So we can all be doing that right now, and we can assure you that they're gonna hear the Word of God. They're gonna be encouraged with singing and the song, with prayer and other types of functions within the life of the church. Every one of us can be in attendance and coming ourselves. This is something that's absolutely vital to the life of the church, which is something we're gonna see here today in the book of Acts. And then all of us can be giving financially and our time and our resources to the work in the ministry of this church. Again, Something that we're going to see together today in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. So again, I just want to challenge you, church, now is the time to put the pedal to the metal and let's get after it. Let's not sit around and just wait. Let's be doing the very best we can do for Christ and for this church and for reaching this city right now as we pray together for our next pastor as he comes to us uh, soon. So, book of Acts, here's what we're going to do. This week and next week, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture that sort of help us think about our moment that we're in right now, and how we can be putting our best foot forward. So the book of Acts chapter 2, you remember the story of the book of Acts. Acts is volume 2 of Luke's writings. In fact, Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts often circulated in the early church as volume 1 and volume 2 of his works there. The uh, The book of Luke tells us about the life and the ministry of Jesus, his work, his miracles, his teachings, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then ultimately, the book of Acts picks up with the work of the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascends into heaven and the work of the Spirit through normal ordinary people just like me and just like you. And so there's much here to discover. The book of Acts chapter 2, here's what we see. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem and to wait for the Holy Spirit. Just a few months ago, we looked at Acts chapter 1 in that passage where Jesus promises them power from the Spirit. When the Spirit comes upon them, they will be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we saw that in chapter 1. Now in chapter Two, the Spirit of God falls upon them. They speak with tongues, and what that means in that context was, is though you had a wide variety and assortment of different languages spoken in the room at the time. Peter stands up and preaches at Pentecost, and everyone understands him in their own dialect, in their own tongue. God was performing a miracle through that, and that day, three thousand people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then, once that happened. The church of Jesus Christ is born. And what I want to do is I want to go back and take a look at that picture this morning. What does that church look like and what can we learn from that? So Acts chapter 2, verse number 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his words were baptized. And that day 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wondrous signs were done through the apostles. And now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and their goods, and they divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Our great God, we come before you this morning just simply asking for your blessings and for your help to us. Lord, again, we reach that moment in the week where collectively we join our hearts together to hear the word of God proclaimed, to hear it preached and to be challenged and exhorted by it. And God, we simply pray this morning that you would meet among us and that you would do the things in this hour that I can't do and that none of us can do. And God, your spirit would fall down among us this morning, that you would address us, that you would confront us, that you would challenge us, you would encourage us. God, you would do the work in us, each of us individually and also all of us collectively that only you can do. We, we long, God, this morning to hear from you and to hear from your word. So God, would you speak now to us through your servant and help us to have a better understanding of who you're calling us to be. We love you and we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start off this morning by thinking for just a second of how often we take the church uh, somewhat casually. Think about it. I mean, in our culture today, and even in our in our churches, it is often the case that people have a rather somewhat dismissive or non-committal attitude or disposition to the church. People are very reluctant to go to church. People are very reluctant to join a church. People are very reluctant to give their very best to the church. It is often the case, and young and old, that people are very dismissive or indifferent about the church, but yet we still claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, you know where I, what I'm about to say. I've said this to you a lot of times over the months that I've been with you already. I take that word following very literally and very seriously. I've said it to you this way a number of times. Followers do what? They go where Jesus goes. Followers love what Jesus loves Followers do what Jesus does. Followers are about what Jesus is about. And so consider our cultural indifference to the church for just a moment. And now hear the words of Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 25. It's an instruction to husbands on how they're to love their wives. But the example that Paul gives to them in loving their wife is actually Jesus' love for the church. Listen to what it says. Husbands, love your wives. Listen to this. Just as Christ also loved the church, watch this, and gave himself for her. Notice Jesus' love for the church. I mean, let's be honest for just a moment. The church is a place where you can get frustrated. The church is a place where you could get hurt. The church is a place where you can grow tired and weary. The church has its warts, Folks. We're not trying to dismiss that. Look, it's just, a, it's just what's going to happen when you get any group of people together at all. There will be difficulty, trial, and turmoil from time to time. And because of those things, it's the easiest, most comfortable thing for us to do to simply push the, the church back and retreat into our own isolation, our own convenience, our own comforts, or what have you. Culturally speaking, it will just always be our temptation to take the church somewhat casually or to be somewhat indifferent to it. But compare our indifference to the church, claiming to be followers of Christ, and Christ's deep, life-giving commitment to the church. Christ loved the church, and a follower does what? They love what Christ loves. I want to suggest to us this morning, there is an immediate contradiction in my life and in your life if you think that you can be indifferent to the church and claim to be a follower of Christ. Because Christ loved the church and followers love what He loves. Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. We celebrate this every time we take communion. We preach this every time we talk about the cross We talk about Christ stripped naked bare, beaten, flogged, and scourged, and crucified on the cross. Why is he doing any of that? He's doing it because he loved the church. My dear brothers and sisters, what I hope you see is the immediate contrast between the way Jesus loves the church, commits himself to her, and is all in and our casual indifference. It just doesn't jive. It doesn't work that way, y'all. I cannot be, listen to me, I'll say it this way. I cannot be a faithful Christian. I cannot be what God has called me to be. I cannot do what God has called me to do aside from the church. And listen to me, I say that warts and all. Yes, there are warts. Yes, there are problems. Yes, there are things that frustrate and hurt and all of those things. And you know what? Jesus knows all about that stuff too. In fact, He knows about all that stuff better than you and I do. And yet, He loves the church steadfastly. Anyway, amen? So I want to say to us, if we really want to be followers of Christ, then man, like Christ, we got to be all in in the church. Means I might have to swallow my pride. I might have to be vulnerable. I might have to get hurt from time to time. And I don't throw down my hands and pick up my ball and go home. But I will be faithful, you will be faithful in following Christ if you love the church. Now, Acts chapter 2. I've recently discovered about myself that I like doing puzzles. Not like, you know, crazy object lesson, but like real puzzles, like jigsaw puzzles. I I, I didn't know this about myself, it happened at Christmas. My mother-in-law had a puzzle out and I walked by and I found one piece that fit and that was it. I was done. I sat there for hours just sitting there, plugging away on those puzzles. I've come back. I've purchased a few puzzles. I have puzzles in my house now. I have puzzles in my office for when I'm sitting in really boring meetings. Don't tell anybody I said that. And I sit, or if I'm on the phone, I just sit there and work on these puzzles. I, I think it's fun. But you know, if you've ever done puzzles, you know this. There's one thing that is absolutely essential in putting a puzzle together. You better have the box that it came in with the big picture of what it's supposed to look like standing right there in front of you. Because if you don't have that visual picture of what it's supposed to look like, then you'll never be able to put it all together. Now what I want to suggest to us is that, listen, I know the church was an infant. I know the church was a baby in the moment that we just read about here in Acts chapter 2. But man, what a beautiful baby it is. What a glorious picture we see of a whole bunch of people that are so stinking different from each other. I mean, think about the diversity in the body of Christ in this first century here. I mean, you got people of all shapes and sizes and colors and smells. And they all come together in one body, and what they do and how they function is just absolutely glorious. And no wonder the world was turned upside down. And I would suggest to us, look, if we can get even more close to this picture right here, man, we'll turn New Orleans upside down for Christ. So what do we see here in the church in Acts chapter 2? First of all, I want you to see with me this morning, in the church, believers are nurtured in the Word of God. Now look, I know the Internet exists. I know YouTube exists, and I know podcasts exist, and I know that you can avail yourself to any number of good resources and teachings. And I would say to you, go for it. But I would also say to you, be careful. There's something that changed in our world, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. It used to be that if you wanted to stand up and teach, man, there was a vetting process by virtue of the fact that there were limited spaces you could do this. Therefore, if you got to this spot, you'd been vetted pretty thoroughly, and you were pretty much, for the most part, there was a little, maybe you could say a higher degree of trustability. But now we live in the day of the internet when almost any, I'll be nice here, any person can get a microphone and a camera or a keyboard, and they can just spout off anything. So yes, be careful as you go forward with all the available resources to you today. But what I would really want to say to you is that first and foremost, the teaching of the Word of God and the teaching of doctrine is a vital and essential function in the life of the church. And it is a vital and essential function in your life as a believer. We cannot be Rambo Christians thinking that we can just do it all on our own. No, there's something essential that happens in the life of a church and the life of believers when we come together and together collectively, corporately, and then in other groups and formats, study the Word of God and try to wrap our head around this being called God. God is an infinite being. We are finite creatures and that's a difficult task. And therefore we need encouragement, we need guidance, we need instruction in understanding who and what God is. By the way, did you know that this is one reason that in Baptist circles we tend to put the pulpit right here? Not off to the side, not over up in the, in the balcony, so to speak, looking down as if this is somehow speaking in from the side. No, we put it in the middle because in our thought and the way we think of it, the Word of God is central to everything. And therefore, we've built buildings literally around the centrality of the pulpit and the Word of God. There's a reason we place Bibles on altars when we take the Lord's Supper because it's right there in the center. Visually, structurally, we are preaching. We're saying what we believe, that this is most fundamental to us. Therefore, it is vital that we go through the process of vetting, examining, observing, and analyzing anyone and everyone who would take up the Word of God and speak and proclaim and teach In the life of the church. Notice what they do, verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. These apostles had been with Jesus, walking with him for three years. I'm not saying that's seminary, but I'm saying that's a pretty good preparation for what they're now about to do. They'd walked with Christ. They'd heard Christ. They'd dialogued back and forth with Christ. They'd been rebuked by Him. They'd been lifted up by Him. They had been poured into by Christ Himself. And now that Christ has ascended up into heaven and the disciples are there left to lead and guide the newborn church, they are the ones that take up the Word of God. At this point, it would have been the Old Testament. And they preach and proclaim the Word of God to us. When you watch the sermons that they preach, they'll go back to Old Testament passages of Scripture and they essentially do what we call expository preaching. They take those passages of Scripture from the Old Testament and they show us how Christ is the fulfillment of those passages and they teach and nurture the people of God as a result of that. This is a vital function in the life of the church. And so it is something therefore that we the church must adhere to. It is something that we the church must give ourselves to and it is something that you the believer need to take absolutely serious in your life. Look, I just say it to you, man, if you're not if you're not in immersing your mind in the word of God and the truth of God, then you are just a ripe target for the enemy to pick off. You have no strength. You have no you have no spiritual backbone to fight up against the wiles of the devil and the schemes of the devil that will be thrown at you. And understand this, that while it's vital that you yourself are reading and immersing your mind in the Word of God, it is also vital that you're participating in the discipleship arms and, and outreaches of the church. And part of that being the preaching. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. Listen to this. You can flip there if you want to, but don't. It's just, you know, I'll read it to you. Paul says this to Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Again, remember, you can find anybody teaching anything these days. And they will turn their ears from the truth and they will turn aside to fables. You be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists and fulfill your ministry. In short, listen, the word of God is vital to the life of the church. The first church was doing exactly this and that's why this has been a major backbone of the life of the church therefore since. We must be a people that continually give ourselves to this word as we go. Second thing I want you to see, In the church, not only are believers nurtured in the Word of God, but in the church also believers find unity and fellowship. Right after that in verse number 42, note what it says. Verse number 42, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now what is fellowship? It's typical that a preacher would at this moment maybe poke at us a little bit. And okay, I will too. Fellowship's not just potlucks. Fellowship is not covered dishes per se. Although, of course, it can and often does take place within those formats. Fellowship is standing in the trenches together. In the fight and in the struggle between good and evil and in the advancement of God's kingdom. Fellowship is not just hanging out. Fellowship is not just being with people that you always like per se. Fellowship is when a diverse group of people that otherwise could never unite around anything come together with a common love and a common mission and throw their shoulder into the cause together. And they realize together that we literally, really, and truly are in a fight between good and evil, between light and darkness. That there are two competing visions and ambitions for this world and for this universe. One of gluttony, one of of lust, one of passion and evil desire, and one of purity and holiness and life. One that results in life and one that results in death. And fellowship happens when people from various sides of the aisle, people from various walks of life, people with great differences, come together as one and throw their shoulder into that. That's what fellowship is. And yes, you might be eating while you do it. Yes, you might be watching a game while you do it. Fellowship is something much, much deeper than those things. There's the breaking of bread. So they're sharing life with each other. They're praying with each other. Listen, I'll just say it to you this way. We need each other. We need each other desperately. The trials that we face, the burdens that we carry, the darkness that invades our life at times. We cannot stand under these things alone. I know I can't. Because of the virtue of my position, because of the place that I stand in life and the responsibilities that have been placed on me, I often walk around somehow thinking that it's up to me to be strong enough for everybody. But you know what? I'm just like anybody else too. I need people to hold my arms up that's what the body of Christ is for. That's what brothers are for. That's what sisters are for. That we would bear each other's burdens in fellowship and in unity and prayer. Hey man, let me just ask you a question. Is there anybody in this room that doesn't need that? Are there any people in this room that need that? And yet when we come together, we can be right beside each other. And still be hiding from each other. With each other bodily. But keeping and veiling everything that we bear. And letting no one in. I'm telling you that is no way to live. That is no way to walk. It will surely lead to discouragement, to depression, to darkness and to despair. It is not the way that the body of Christ acted. They came together, there's a fellowship, there's a breaking bread, and there's a prayer. But they stand with each other, and they support each other, and they stand united with one another. The book of Ecclesiastes says it to us this way. Ecclesiastes, that notoriously difficult book of the Bible to try to understand. You have these moments when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and you think to yourself, What? What does that mean? I have no idea. And then you'll read passages like this when you go, yeah, I get that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For they, if, they, if they fall, one will lift his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him get up again. If two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can you be warm alone? the one may be overpowered by another two can withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken the apostle paul would say in 1 corinthians chapter 12 verse 26 if one member suffers then all the members suffer with it or if one member is honored all the members rejoice with it i hey, simply put folks we need each other but that is risky right that's vulnerable. That's ge- those are two things, just generally speaking, none of us are good at. Risky and vulnerable, right? Transparent, risky, and vulnerable. Those are not the types of things that we're typically good at. But this is a model for us. We will bear each other's burdens. And this is why, this is part of why I say things to you like, man, look, it's just important for you to be here. You say, well, I don't have any responsibilities this Sunday. So what? I didn't say anything about that. Just literally, bodily coming and being with brothers and sisters in Christ and open the doors of our hearts together. I'm telling you, there's life in that. And it's so vital for us. Third thing I want you to see here this morning. In the church, believers give for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, it's very interesting how it happens, verse 44. Now, all who believed were together. They had all things in common. So you note the unity there. This is part of why, by the way, I'm describing fellowship in these terms of unity. Getting in the trenches together. Standing, putting your shoulder collectively into the common cause. They were all together. They had all things in common. And watch this. It almost sounds like communism. It's not. But it almost sounds like it. They sold their possessions and goods. They divided them among all as anyone had need. Man, check that out. I mean, they're literally dividing up their resources and spreading it commonly throughout. And this is part of, yes, there are some people that have said, see, that's communism, and they've tried to use passages like this as a rationale for that socio-political governmental system. Well, let me just be very clear. That's a huge leap. Not only is it a huge leap, it's a bad leap. Because, thank you, brother. (laughs) You know, my wife sometimes says, could you hear all the people saying amen? Actually, no. (laughs) Normally when I'm up here, I can't hear a word y'all are saying, but I heard those, so that's good. It's a bad argument. It's a bad leap. And let me tell you why. Because the scriptures here, the early church, they're not not doing politics. They're not doing economics. You know what they're doing? They're doing missions. (laughs) That's what they're doing. So it's a huge leap, it's a bad leap for those reasons. What the church is intending to do here is not set the agenda for how societal politics and economics will work and function. What the church is rather doing is pouring itself out for the mission of Jesus Christ. And what that means is, the way that translates... From, say, the, from the group to the individual is that, well, each of those individuals are literally bringing everything that they have. Let me say that again. They are literally bringing everything that they have and pouring it out for Christ. So you'll hear people say things like, well, the tithe, right? You, you give a tithe to the Lord. Ten percent is the Lord's. No, let me be very clear with you, my brothers and sisters. hundred percent is the Lord's. Now, 10%. is not 10% his, 90% yours. No. Now maybe a tithe is a good model for us to start with. There's debate about this amongst Bible scholars today. Is the tithe really the New Testament model? I, you know, I'll let, I'll let the eggheads figure that out. I'll just say this to you. It's a good place to start, but be very, very clear about this. What Christ actually wants from you is a sacrifice. And maybe 1% is a sacrifice for you. Maybe 1% cuts deeply for you. Maybe 80% doesn't cut deep for you. What Christ wants, let's just be very clear about this across the board, whether we're talking about money or we're talking about anything else, what Christ wants and expects and demands from me and you is 100% obedience in every aspect of my life. The believers came together, and though they had much, they were willing to pour out everything they had for the cause of Jesus Christ. And I would suggest to you, there is no obstacle in this city. There is no corner of darkness in this city that cannot be overcome by the light of Jesus Christ if the body of Christ would begin pouring out all. And so with that, yes, I do have to challenge you for a moment. Are you comfortable in your giving? You got it about where you want there and you're comfortable and you're good with that. Man, if there's comfort in it, I would suggest there's no sacrifice in it. What Christ wants is an outpouring. I I hate to say it this way, it should cost me something. There should be a level of pain or discomfort in it. It should look like this. I can give this, but boy, I'm going to have to trust Christ. And I would say if that's where you're at, that you're exactly where God would want you to be. The church, in the church, believers give and they pour out for the cause of Christ. And so I challenge you today in your giving to this mission. There's so much more that we could do. There's so much more darkness around us that we could address. But it will take all of us giving and giving and giving. Fourthly, in the church, believers are pushed to worship God. Verse 46 I mean, look, if we accomplish absolutely nothing else when we come together, let's do this. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Notice again and again that theme of one accord in common, and they share, I mean, it's, just, it's everywhere here. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. That means their, their mind was not pulled in a million different directions. Their loyalties and their devotions were not many. Their loyalties and their devotions were singular. Christ and His kingdom. With simplicity of heart, what were they doing? They were praising God and having favor with all men. They were worshipers. Which, by the way, is exactly what you were created to be. I mean, you do understand that in eternity past, prior to God speaking and bringing this whole thing into existence, God didn't need anything. The unity and the fellowship and the love and the affection between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit was enough. There was no need for me, for you, for us. And yet, with great extravagance, God hurled forth the universe and brought it into existence and gives it life and being, and now we exist. And we ask the question, well then for what purpose? Why are we here? So that we may worship the one that made us. That we may esteem him and pour ourselves out to him. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4, verse number 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love. Listen, Jesus says this right here is the most important commandment in all the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength. Why does he split it into three there? Why is there a heart, a soul, and a strength? I mean, is, he, is, is my soul somehow different from my heart? And when by strength, does he mean my muscles? I mean, what's the deal here? Why is he splitting us up into three? Is he just is he trying to compartmentalize? No, I think that's actually the point. The point here is to say, with everything, with every fiber of your being, with every part of your, your existence, you pour yourself out as a worshiper to Christ. That's what we're called to do. In the church, fifthly, one more point, we're done. In the church, believers are a part of reaching the nations. We've already seen this in Acts chapter 1, right? We see it in so, so, so many places throughout the New Testament and even in the Old. But now watch this. The result of that church and its function. Let's just recall what we've described. Doctrinal growth, their understanding, the things of God. I would tell you, folks, the better we understand the things of God, the better we understand the things of God, the more powerful we will be. There's doctrinal growth. There's fellowship and unity. There's also uh, giving and pouring out of your resources. There's worship. That's how the church is functioning. Now watch the result of this. Now we know from other passages that the early church and these apostles were active evangelists, right? Right? They were sharing Christ, they were proclaiming Christ, they were witnesses for Christ. It's exactly what Christ told them to do in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, and we know from everything else that we read in the New Testament, that's exactly what they were doing. But I love the way it's stated here in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. It's almost as if the growth of the church is just a natural byproduct. right? And as a result of all those things, verse 47, the very end, and the Lord added daily, to the church, those who are being saved. Something to be said for getting healthy, is not there? There's something to be said. Consider your body. If your knee is busted, if you've got shin splints, if you've got hip flexors, or if you've got something like that. I know about all these things because I have them. (laughs) Running's probably not in your forecast. Being a jogger. You can can bonk me over the head about how I need to go running all you want to. I'm just telling you what the problems are, okay? There's something that happens when the body is healthy. It has the capacity to do so much more. There's a vibrancy, a liveliness to it, a fruit from it. That is obvious. Something powerful happens in the life of the church when the church gets healthy and and really galvanizes itself around the right kinds of things, and the right functions, and the right activities. When the church, when the individual people of the church, throw their shoulder into the work of Christ as the Bible's described it here, there's something just natural that begins to happen. Hey, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that it could happen again right here in the city of New Orleans. I, I have this sneaking suspicion. It will take you, it will take me. It will take all of us collectively. But it, listen, the life of this thing is going to be in the individual components of the thing. As we come together as one. One with regard to what? Does oneness and unity simply mean we just get, get, try hard to get along? No. Oneness and unity in what we've seen here. Discipleship. Brother, sister, Are you taking your discipleship seriously? You say, well, it's not my job to be a preacher. It's not my job to be a theologian. I didn't say anything in the world about your job. You are a believer. You are born again. You are called by Christ just as much as I am to be on mission for Him. Therefore, discipleship is essential in your life. Are you taking that seriously? Do you read the Word of God? Do you seek to understand it? Are you involving yourself in discipleship? Are you committing yourself to the teachings of the apostles? Fellowship and breaking bread. Are we like the rest of our culture? Look, this is why I started where I started today. It will always be our disposition to absorb the flavor of our culture. And our culture is one that's completely indifferent to this thing called church. Our world will not so much tell us, more simply influence us and dispose us to think that, ah, eh, it's not that important. No, it's vital. And I know there's going to be times you miss. There's times I miss. But there's something essential that happens when the body of Christ assembles itself together. Just a quick anecdote from me. From me personally. You know bits and pieces of my story that I became a professional philosopher studying apologetics, arguments for God's existence. Man, I've spent years and years of my life in the weeds of academia in philosophy dealing with these nuanced arguments. And I could stand here for hours and nerd out with you about all the details of things and I'd have a blast. But can I tell you something? When I put my head on the pillow at night and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what comforts me? You know what does it for me that actually causes me to believe and inclines me to believe? It's none of those arguments. I think, that, I think a lot of those arguments work on a logical, rational level. In other words, I walk them through and I come to the conclusion at the end logically. I say, yeah, logically speaking, there is no other conclusion other than there is a God. But existentially speaking, when I put my head on the pillow at night, my rest and my comfort is not in those arguments. That's not what does it for me. Can I tell you something that does actually do it for me? Something that actually I do find myself in these moments generating belief and finding myself just caught up in believing? It's listening to you sing. It's not intellectual, it's not academic. Frankly, it doesn't even make any sense to me. I don't know why that works for me. Just this weekend, I was with a collegiate college event in, in, in Florida as the speaker, 350 some college kids pouring their heart out to God in three sessions three or four, or five songs each. I didn't sing a single word all weekend because I couldn't. I just sat there and listened and listened and listened to my little brothers and my little sisters pour their heart out to God. And I found myself overwhelmed with Christ himself. There's something that happens when we assemble ourselves together. There's, I don't know, it's almost like God developed and designed a chemistry amongst us. Yeah, that's exactly what he did, and therefore we have to take it seriously. Here's what I want to say to you. Man, look, we give ourselves to this. Then God... Will use us in a mighty way, I suspect. But it takes every single individual. It takes the entire body of Christ saying, okay, okay, I'm in. Hey, church, I know we're waiting, and I know we're praying, and I know we're longing for the day where God brings our new leader. Me too. But until then, this is how we walk, this is how we march. This is what we give ourselves to. And we do our dead level best to be as faithful to Christ as we can possibly be. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for your son. It is a joy, a privilege, and a pleasure, God, just to know you and to be known by you. Father, we do pray for our next pastor. We ask for wisdom, guidance, and discernment As folks are thinking and praying. And until then, Father, we, the body of Christ here at First Baptist New Orleans, we give ourselves to your mission and your work. Use us, we pray, mightily to win the broken and the lost in the city of New Orleans. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.